Portland State University's History Department presents This Week Back Then. Hey listeners, today we're jumping back to February 24th, 1908, to look at a defining moment in Supreme Court history. This is Tanya Monthy. We've heard of Roe v. Wade and Brown v. Board of Education, but have you heard of this important Oregon case? The U.S. Supreme Court's 1908 Mueller v. Oregon decision upheld the state's maximum hour law for women. This case involved Kurt Mueller, the owner of two Portland businesses, Grand Laundry and Lace House Laundry. In 1905, Mueller was charged with violating Oregon state law by requiring his employee Emma Gotcher to work more than 10 hours on, ironically, Labor Day. The 1903 law stipulated that women in laundries and factories could work no more than 10 hours per day. Mueller was convicted and sentenced to pay a $10 fine or serve five days in jail. He challenged his conviction on the grounds that this law, which regulated women's labor but not men's, violated his right to enter into contract with his employees. To support their case, Oregon hired the future Supreme Court Justice Louis Brandeis to conduct social research on how work impacted women's lives. This was the first case to utilize sociological evidence in a legal brief. With what is known as the Brandeis Brief, Oregon argued that forcing women to work long hours negatively affected women's health and reproductive system. Mueller v. Oregon is particularly interesting because it was decided during the so-called Lochner era, named for the 1905 decision that overturned New York's maximum hour law in Lochner v. New York. The same court went on to overturn several progressive labor laws, including Franklin Roosevelt's Live Poultry Code in 1935. In what is called the Sick Chicken Case, two brothers were convicted of 19 charges violating FDR's Poultry Code and selling chicken unfit for human consumption. Surprisingly, the court overturned their conviction on the grounds that Congress was overstepping their Commerce Clause powers and by allowing the executive branch to implement such codes. The Lochner era was primarily concerned with limiting government regulation of business. They promoted the liberty of employers to freely contract with their employees, as established in the 5th and 14th Amendments. So why did the court uphold Oregon's maximum hour law for women? Though women's rights activists and those worried about the moral and physical integrity of women supported this protective legislation, the language used in the majority decision displays the widespread view of women's role in society at the time. Particularly, this view held that women's central role was raising children and taking care of the home. In the majority opinion, Justice Brewer argued that differential treatment was justified before the law because of biological differences. History discloses the fact, he argued, that woman has always been dependent upon man. As healthy mothers are essential to vigorous offspring, the physical well-being of woman becomes an object of public interest and care in order to preserve the strength and vigor of the race. In other words, the court was saying that not only were women not physically fit to work long hours or contract their own labor, but that their primary job was to birth and raise quote-unquote vigorous offspring to support the future of the nation. Women's bodies had become an object of public interest. Understandably, these labor laws intended to protect women and sought to promote public health. Yet the court's language reveals society's ideas of gender roles during the 20th century. 
What do you make of the court's obvious attention to women's bodies and women's reproductive capacity being justifiable means for differential treatment? Historian Linda Kerber argues that the Supreme Court has used its judicial power to uphold differential treatment for women. Cloaked as protective legislation, these differences were ultimately used as justification for the political and legal disenfranchisement of women. Second-wave feminists in the 1960s and 70s fought these ideas as they promoted equal pay for equal work and argued that women have the same capacity as men to promote their own agency. Yet, the fight for equality isn't over. Today, women who work full-time make only 80 cents for every dollar a man makes. Institutional gender discrimination is still a reality in the United States. For more on this topic and others, please visit pdx.edu history.